All right, so we're starting this four-part series on heaven. What is heaven really about? I want to read you the lyrics of a song. You tell me if you know the title of the song and who sung it. Going down, it's party time. My friends are going to be there too. I'm on my way to the promised land. Who sung that song? What's that song about? ACDC and the song is about hell. It's about hell. I am on my way to the promised land, to a big party. Here's the next one. You understand what it's talking about immediately. It's talking about heaven. Who sung it? Heaven. Heaven is a place, a place where nothing, nothing ever happens. There. Whoa, man, that was quick. That was I didn't even finish it yet. Okay. Okay. There is a party. Everyone is there. Everyone will leave. At exactly the same time. When the party is over, it will start again. It will not be any different. It will be exactly the same. The talking heads. Heaven. You know, hell sounds very exciting. Heaven sounds rather boring and monotonous. How much do we really know about heaven? I realized this past summer... I started reading about heaven, and I realized I know very, very little about heaven. You realize, I had not heard one message, been in church all my life. I have never heard one message dedicated to the subject of heaven. I went through four years of Bible college. I never sat through one single single Bible college class on the subject of heaven. I did seminary. I don't know how long it took me to get through seminary. It was forever. I didn't sit through one seminary class on the subject of heaven. Here is my theology book. This is a big book. 1,249 pages in this book. This is my theology, systematic theology book from Bible College. There are less than 10 pages on the subject of heaven. What is the deal with heaven? Why do we talk about it, but we know so very little about it? Washington Post last week, did an article, maybe you saw it, about heaven. Newsweek, this past week, did an article about heaven. Lisa Miller, she writes this. She says, quote, While 80% of Americans say they believe in heaven, few of us have the slightest clue as to what we mean. That's very interesting. We know very little about heaven. We all want to go. We all want to go. We just don't want to go right now. But we all want to go. Maybe you've heard the story before about the Sunday school class. And the teacher said to the group of boys in his Sunday school class, who wants to go to heaven? Everybody raised their hand except for one kid. And he says to this one boy, you don't want to go to heaven? He says, I want to go to heaven. I thought you were trying to get a load up right now. I'm not interested in going right now. Why do we know so little? So we're going to, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about this for the next four weeks. I'm going to just throw out a whole, just kind of array of things, just a few things right now that we're going to, you know, to get your appetites going, okay? And we hope to have some Q&A later on in this series. But heaven, what is heaven? Is it what each of us want it to be? Like what was on the videotape? Is heaven simply a place that I want it to be? Is it Canada without Canadians? Right? Is it going to be that? The one guy said it's a long nap. Is it that? Is heaven simply a place, everybody, where everybody that I love or I like is there? Right? Is that what heaven is? And then what, what's the opposite side of that? Does it mean that everybody that I don't like, everybody that I don't love, or like they not there? 
Do they not get to go? How does all that work? What is heaven really? Uh, will we have bodies in heaven? Will we work? Will we learn while we're in heaven? Are we going to do those things? Where is heaven exactly? Does it have a location? Where are dead people right now? Where are dead people right now? And what are dead people doing right now? What's going on with that? Rewards. Are there rewards in heaven? There seems to be a great amount of confusion about heaven, even though, as I realized starting this past summer, the Bible has a lot to say about the subject of heaven, yet there's so much confusion. Wonder why. Revelation chapter 13 says this. Speaking of Satan, it says, Satan opened his mouth and he blasphemed God and slandered his name and, check this out, and God's dwelling place. Isn't that interesting? So the devil is really into slandering or confusing or bringing down in some way, shape, or form, not just God, not just us, but also heaven itself. And there's a tremendous amount of confusion about it and a lot of ignorance. There's a lot of ignorance on my part. There still is. But I knew nothing after growing up all my life in church and going through Bible college and going through seminary. knew very, very little about this subject. Well, the Bible encourages us to learn about heaven and to learn as much as we can. Here's our theme verse for these next four weeks. It's Colossians 3.1. Here's what it says. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. That phrase there, set your sights, is a Greek word, zeteo, and it means this. Don't stop seeking. Like, don't stop seeking knowledge about heaven. Never give up the quest. Just don't say, well, I can't really know about heaven. I can't really know about it, so I'm not even going to try. That's not good at all. Colossians 3.1 tells us that we should keep seeking it out. Well, five years ago, I celebrated my uh, 20th anniversary with my beautiful wife here, Krista. And leading up to it, the year leading up to this 20th anniversary, I got this idea that we would go away. I wouldn't tell her where we were going to go. So I'd just say, we're going to go away for a week. And then I was going to surprise her with a place to go. And so I began searching all on the Internet where we would go for this 20, this big, huge 20th anniversary. And I came across this place. And I said, the more I, I'd never heard of it before. And the more I learned about it, I said, oh, man, I really want to go there. And I just kept looking. I went on this forum. There's a whole forum for this little tiny island that we went through. And I started reading other people who had been there before. And the more I read about it and the more I learned about it, the more excited I got. I couldn't wait to get there. Like, I couldn't even sleep. I was so jazzed up about going to this place. It was unbelievable. The day for our departure could not come soon enough. And check this out. Even though we were going to leave our kids for a week. And I know some people love to think about leaving their kids for a week. All right. But I have a problem with leaving my kids for a week. Especially... You know, five years ago when they were even younger. I don't like my kids to even go on sleepovers. I don't like them to go on play days. I always want my kids around me. That's just the way, that's the way I'm. And even though I was going to leave my kids for a week, I was still excited about going. Didn't bother me one bit. I read about the Apostle Paul. And when you read about him, he, you can tell he's very excited about going to heaven. He says, to live is Christ, but dying, dying is even better. Philippians 1.21, I think, my goodness, I'm nowhere near to the Apostle Paul. How come he is so excited about going to heaven? And how come when I think about going to heaven, I say, yeah, God, I really want to go, but not now. Could we please hold off? I don't want to go. I even told God that. I said, you know, can we just wait on this heaven thing? Why? 
because there's so much I still want to do. I feel like I'm going to miss out on so much in this life if I go to heaven. Like everything that I've dreamed about and worked for, and everything I still want to do, it's all going to be missed out if it just stops and I go to heaven. Is that the way that it really works? Well, listen, I want you to look at this series, this four-week series that we're doing, is not the answer on heaven. You are not going to get the answer on heaven, but here's what it's going to be. Clues. Clues. There are a tremendous amount of clues in the Bible about heaven, and we want to talk about those clues, and we want to allow those clues to paint us a picture. We're going to try to provide some question and answer, not this week, but in the weeks to come. So if you have questions, you want to start thinking, you want to start writing them down, you start emailing them so we can shape this series, talk about where it's going to go. There's a tremendous amount of scripture on heaven. The clue, the first clue that we're going to go with today is the most important clue. And that is the clue that we were given on Easter morning 2,000 years ago. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for what this day represents. Easter, Resurrection Sunday. Lord, as we study heaven and all that your word has to tell us about this incredible subject in this credible place, uh, God, would you just fill our hearts with just a little bit of that excitement that the Apostle Paul had? Just a little bit. If we can just get ourselves in that same ballpark, uh, I'd be happy with that. Lord, bless us today as we study and as we seek and set our hearts on the realities of heaven. To the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on a cross. Spent three days in the tomb and on Easter morning, 2,000 years ago, on this morning, 2,000 years ago, The stone was rolled away. Mary Magdalene makes her way to the tomb. She finds that it's empty. And then she meets Jesus. We're given some clues in this. First of all, Jesus is in his body. Like she recognizes him and he recognizes her. That means something. He looks the same. The storyline continues. There's no abrupt end. There's no change. It's not like, hey, who are you? I've never seen you before. They talk. He says, listen, I want you to tell Peter and the rest of the gang to meet me at such and such a place. Later on, we see Jesus Christ, everybody. We see Jesus eating and drinking with his disciples. We see him teaching and leading and discipling. We see him continuing to fulfill his mission and his calling after he was resurrected like we are promised to be resurrected. We see him continuing to do those things to work out his mission and his calling to use his gifts in this world. We even see him one time on the Sea of Galilee where he calls out to his disciples, he says, listen, you guys are fishing in the wrong spot. You need to change the location you're fishing in. We see him continuing on with the storyline that he had. There was not an abrupt end to all of that, and that is a major clue for us. One of the things that bothers me about heaven is like, oh my goodness, when I stop this life, it's like I'm going to stop a whole book and I'm going to have to pick up a whole new book that I know nothing about and I'm going to start that book. Well, when you read in the scriptures and you look through resurrection, you see that Jesus Christ was raised in his body and the storyline continued, what you realize is it's not a whole new book. It's just another chapter. And that the story continues. And that's quite an amazing thing. That struck me. 
struck me a lot. Here's the one fill in the blank for you, okay? And I know I didn't leave enough space on the back of your bulletins for this. There's only one fill in, but you're going to get your money's worth on this because it's the whole phrase. The resurrection points to the continuation of God's plan for your life in heaven. The continuation. This is not something totally new, something totally foreign, something that you know nothing about. All of a sudden, boom, I can't know anything about heaven. I'm going to start completely new, new people, new things. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to float around on clouds for the rest of my life. All this kind of stuff. No, it's a continuation of the plan of God that he has for your life in heaven. That's what it points to. I want to put heaven off. Think about this as long as possible because I'm afraid that so much that I'm invested into in this life, I'm going to miss out on. I'm afraid of that. What's going to happen to my relationships? What about the things that are important to me? What about the gifts that God has given to me? Do I don't use them anymore? Do I not do anything productive anymore? Am I just sitting around the throne? And I've heard a million people say, hey, John, you're, just, you're going to be around the throne of God, you know, for all of eternity. You know, man, and that's great for you all that just love to sing and you're gifted to sing, but I'm not gifted to sing and I don't love to sing. I'm sorry. I'm just not. Okay, so I'm thinking, what am I going to do with all this? Am I going to be in the back of the room asleep? What is, what's, what is that going to mean to me, everybody? What does that mean to me? Everything is put on hold. People have told me, my hopes and my dreams, the things that I want to do, the things that I want to see, and the things that I want to learn are completely over. People have told me that learning will end. Like when I get to heaven, everything I've ever wanted to know, bam, instantly it's going to be downloaded into my brain, right? Downloaded straight to my brain. And there'll no more learning. And I think, oh, that's great. I'll have all knowledge. And then I think, wait a minute. This is not great. This is terrible. I actually love to learn. Not learning doesn't sound like heaven to me. What is that going to mean? I'm afraid that there is so much that I'm going to miss out on. And so I say to God, could you please wait on heaven? There's things I'd love to do on this earth that I know that I'll never do. I'd love to fly a plane. I'd love to walk on the moon. I'd love to see the Grand Canyon. I'd love to go to Alaska. I'd love to be able to dunk a basketball. Right? I'd love to write a book. I'd love to take my family to Israel. All these things, I'd, lo- I'd love to continue to learn and to study and to use my gifts to serve other people for the glory of God. I enjoy doing that. Is that all over when I go to heaven? Does all that completely end? We see in the life of Jesus Christ, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it continues. Jesus' life continues. The storyline continues on. It does not come to an abrupt end. And he's using his gifts and his calling. All of that that was going on before the resurrection continues after the resurrection, except for one very important thing, one very critical thing. It's minus, it's minus all the fighting in the life of Jesus Christ, all the suffering, all the temptation, all the Pharisees coming to him, giving him a hard time. It's minus all the bad stuff and all the good stuff continues on. 
the storyline continues, but minus all the bad stuff. What if heaven is going to be very, very similar to this world, to the world, to the planet that we live on? What if it's going to be very, very similar to this, minus sin and shame and corruption and lies and poverty and fighting, minus natural disasters? What if it's going to be a little more like that and the storyline is going to continue? The Bible seems to point to that, and resurrection is a major clue towards that. The storyline continues. Your dreams, your unrealized dreams that you have on this earth, can they possibly be realized once you go to heaven, once you pass away, once you die? You're unrealized. Or, you know, have you thought like me? I've thought all my life. Well, man, if I have a dream and I don't get that dream done, by the time I die, I just missed out on that dream. I just missed out on that dream. And you know what that does to us? It puts us in a hurry. If I don't experience it now, I'm never going to experience it. If I don't get it now, I'm never going to get it. And then what does that make us do? That turns the clock up on us, and then we settle for certain things that we would never settle for if we didn't have that pressure. We compromise for things we never would compromise because we have that pressure. If I don't do it now, I'll never do it. Your unrealized dreams on this earth. Is there any carryover into heaven? You know what? You see that for Moses. You see it for Moses. Moses had a dream while he walked this earth for 40 years while he was with the Israelites out in the desert. He dreamed of one day stepping foot on the promised land, of being in the land of Israel. He wanted to go there so badly, and God said, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. And he goes up on the mountain before he crosses the river, and he dies. But in Matthew chapter 17 which gives us tremendous amount of clues about heaven. But here's the one thing I want to focus on today. Matthew chapter 17, the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ goes up with Peter, James, and John on one of the highest mountains in Israel. So you can see all over the land. And he's up there. And who comes down to meet him and steps foot on the mountain? Moses and Elijah. Moses' dream comes true after he dies. That ought to tell us something, everybody. That's a clue. When you go to heaven and you're afraid, oh man, all these dreams that I want, I got to get them now or I'll never get them. Who said that? The Bible didn't say that. The Bible doesn't indicate that. The Bible indicates that your dreams can still come true. Those things that are still in your heart that you want to do can still happen. They happen for Moses. They happen for Moses. So we have all the time in eternity, all the time in eternity, to still think about those dreams happening. Maybe you've said this before. It doesn't get any better than this. You ever been in a situation, you've been at a certain place, or maybe you're on vacation somewhere, or maybe you're with your family, maybe you're with your somebody that you really loved, or maybe you're having this really romantic moment, or whatever. And you just said, it doesn't get any better than this. Like, this is as good as it could ever get. Here's the news that the Bible has to tell us about heaven. It does get better. And it lasts for all of eternity. It does get better. And it lasts for all of eternity. When Jesus Christ talked about heaven, he used some very familiar terms. Here's the thing. Here's the thing for me. And one of the reasons I say, God, wait, hold off. Could you hold off on this heaven deal? I know it's a great place and I really want to go. So I don't want to offend you because I don't want you to lock me out of heaven. But I just don't want to go now. It's very unfamiliar to me. What's what's heaven going to be like? Many people told me, what's heaven going to be like? And I said, well, you know, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, that no eye has seen, no ear nor heard, that you could even conceive what heaven is going to be like, what God is, you know, what God is preparing for us. Why even try? And so I say, well, it's totally foreign to me. 
It's totally unfamiliar. I don't know. It's a different animal, an animal that I've never heard of, right? Does that make sense? We are uncomfortable as human beings with things that are unfamiliar to us. It does not settle or excite us at all. So why is the Apostle Paul so excited? The Apostle Paul is so excited because he says in 2 Corinthians 5.1, he describes heaven in a very familiar way. He simply says this, we will have a home, a home, everybody, in heaven. Oh, I know what a home is. I'm very familiar with the home. Jesus Christ, before he left the disciples, John 14, he describes heaven how? As a home. He says this, there are many rooms, where? In my Father's home. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. A home. I'm familiar with a home. I know what a home is. That makes sense to me. I have wonderful, fond, exciting, adventurous memories of my home. Even those of us in this room who grew up in like really bad home situations, even those of us, I hear people talk, they can even pull out one or two great memories of home, fond memories, exciting, wonderful memories of home. I know what a home is. That excites me. That familiarity makes me feel great about, oh man, I want to go there. I know what that means. I drove by my childhood home two weeks ago. 609 South Taylor Street. I'll never forget it. I lived there until I was 12 years old. 609 South Taylor Street. In the three seconds that I slowly drove by that house, my brain was hit with a flood of memories. I saw everything I'm getting ready to tell you and even more in a matter of five seconds or less. I drove by. I saw the tree out front. I used to think as a kid, I climbed that tree all the time and I played all kinds of games. I did it for hours. Hours. I was fascinated with climbing that tree. I saw the driveway. And when I saw the driveway, you know what it made me think of? It made me think of the first basketball hoop I ever had. And that's where I learned to shoot a basketball. Not very well, but that's where I learned to shoot a basketball. When I looked at the front door, I knew just to the left of that front door is a little tiny living room. And I thought when I was about four, five, six years old, we got up, my sister and I, in the middle of the night, and we couldn't find mom and dad. They weren't in the room. Some aliens had come and taken mom and dad, and we freaked out at three o'clock in the morning. So we did the only thing we knew to do, and the only number we knew to call granddad and nana so we called granddad and nana 75 years old in the middle of the night he says somebody they're gone like they've left us i mean we must have made them angry but they're gone they're out of here and so at three o'clock in the morning tap 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 on the door granddad and nana come over from alexandria here to south arlington to make sure that we're okay and just as we go down to open the door we hear a noise in the little tiny living room and it's mom and dad sleeping on the floor right there we open the door granddad's got his hair all over the place he looks at him doesn't say a one word he just sees them and he turns around and walks back to his car i think of i think of those wonderful memories like that i think about the first honda mini bike the first Honda, little tiny Honda 50cc mini bike that we got. Because when I looked into the backyard, when I drove by 609 South Taylor Street, I think that's where we used to keep the mini bikes. And I think about the morning, Sunday morning, that we were riding the mini bikes out. And mom and dad were getting dressed and ready to go to church. And how the police pulled us over because we were riding all over the streets. And I think, what wonderful memories to have. What wonderful, wonderful memories to have. I think about the Nats game. Now, this is back when I called them the Senators, back in the 60s when I went. I think about going to that Nats game that night and how they were getting crushed like they're still getting crushed today. I think about that, and we left early. My dad had this awesome plan. Let's sneak into the back of the house. We go through the driveway. There's a little door in the back. Of the let's come in the house, and let's scare Mom, and let's scare your sister, Linda. This is so exciting. Let's do it. And we do that, and Mom's on the phone with my aunt, and he picks up the phone, and and he breathes on the phone and we can hear they're so afraid. And so we hide down in the basement and they come down. And he says, we're going to jump out. And we're going to, ah, 
like that. And so we hear them come down the steps and they, you know, they come around and we jump out ah, like that. And my mom just screams a blood curling scream. And we're like, and she's standing with a gun. A gun pointed straight at us and my dad. You know, wonderful memories. I know what a home is. Everybody, heaven is going to be a home. It's going to be very familiar. Minus the guns, right? Minus the emergency room visits. Minus the fight that you might have with your spouse or the frustrations that you have with your kids. Or all the problems and all the sickness and all the pain. Heaven is going to be a home minus all the junk. Heaven's going to be that way. And that's something I'm familiar with and something I can be really excited about. Paul is extremely excited about going to heaven, and I'm not. And I'm just trying to get a little bit closer to the Apostle Paul in some way, shape, or fashion. Uh, I want to look at one last scripture, and then we're going to end it for this morning. And I want to encourage you to start looking up every scripture that you know about heaven. Start thinking about it. Offer it up. Shoot me an email, write it on a connect card, do something over these next few weeks. I want us to search out this subject of heaven so that maybe we can, if we're right here in our excitement, that we can move up a notch or two to where the Apostle Paul is. I want to end with this. Ephesians chapter 1. This gives great insight and great clues about what heaven is. How rich is God's grace which he has given to us so fully and freely. God, with full wisdom and understanding, let us know his secret purpose. This is what God wanted, and he planned to do it through Christ. Now, here it goes. Check this out. His goal was to carry out his plan. His goal was to carry out his plan. When the right time came, that all things, everybody, all things in heaven and on earth will be joined together in Christ as the head. What is he saying there? God had a plan in the Garden of Eden when he created the world. And the plan was that for Adam and Eve and for all of humanity to live in paradise and to rule and to reign and to be in relationship with God and each other and to experience all the garden had. And I think, man, I wish I had that opportunity to experience that. And you know what I think? I just think to myself until this point, until I started studying this, that it was just all over. It was all over. But you know what? That's not the nature of God, is it? God is a redeemer. He's a reconciler. He's a resurrector. He's not an abandoner. He doesn't abandon or abort things. He doesn't stop things. He doesn't say that he's making all new things. Second Corinthians 5.17. He says he's making all things new. When you screw up and when I screw up, God doesn't look and say, you know what? I am just done with you. I'm going to create a new human being and start with them. No. God redeems. God has never abandoned his plan, everybody, for this planet or for your life. God has never abandoned his plan for this planet or your life. People have told me, preachers have said it, I've heard it a million times. It's going to burn. This earth is just going to burn. Forget about it. Don't worry about this planet. It's all going to go, man. It's all going to burn up. And when they mean burn up, they mean it's going to disappear. It's going to disintegrate. It's no longer going to exist. Well, that's not what the Bible says about this planet. It is going to burn, but it's not going to burn up. Billy Graham often uses this line in his sermons. He said that when Jesus Christ hung on that cross on Good Friday, he stretched out his arms 
and he grabbed a hold of the hand of God Almighty, the Father in heaven. And with his other hand, he grabbed a hold of all humanity and he brought the two together. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that Jesus Christ not only took a hold of the Father's hand and our hand, but at the same time, he took a hold of heaven and earth. In one day, in his timing, he's going to bring the two together underneath of his rule and his reign. And that is something to get extremely excited about. Heaven, heaven is going to be our home. Humanity's desire for heaven on earth just might come true, and none of us, none of us are going to want to miss it. It has been the plan of God for all along, and it is the plan of Easter. John three sixteen. For God so loved this world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall receive eternal life. Jesus Christ, everybody, preferred to go to the cross, to be crucified, to be condemned, to spend time in hell rather than spending eternity in heaven without you. Without you. He preferred hell and crucifixion rather than spending an eternity in heaven without you. That's how much God loves you. That's God's plan for your life. Revelation 21, 27 says that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, referred to that way, Jesus Christ has a book. It's a reservation book that's called the Book of Life in Heaven. And the Bible encourages all of us to make a reservation in that book. How do we get our names in that book? How does that happen? You know what? It does not happen because of who we are or what church we attend. It does not happen because of what country we're born in or what family we're born into or all the good things that we do. It happens only through the grace of Jesus Christ. It can't be earned. It can only be received. God has a plan for your life, and that plan is to be in heaven with him for all of eternity, and none of us are going to miss out on it. It's not monotonous. It's not boring. It's very familiar. It's very exciting. It's very adventurous. You'll still use your gifts. You'll still learn, and you'll still grow, and you'll still carry on your relationships. It is going to be the most exciting thing that you could ever imagine in your life, and you're not going to miss out on it. I want to close with this. Have you made your reservation in that book? Have you just simply said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Put my name in that book. Revelation 21, 27. Only those whose names are written in Jesus' book of life will enter that city. You're going to want to be in that city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you have created a place that is so exciting, that is so familiar. I thank you, God, that you are not abruptly ending the story on us, but, God, the storyline continues. I thank you, Jesus, that you loved us so much that you would leave heaven, that you would suffer persecution, that you would suffer shame, that you went through the agony of the cross, the most incredibly brutal way to die, and that you preferred to go to hell than to spend eternity in heaven without every single person in this room. And I pray to God that every single one of us today, none of us would miss out on all that you have planned for us. That every last one of us in this room would make our reservation in that book by just simply saying today, Jesus, put my name in that book. Forgive me my sins. God, bless us as we go through this series. And Father, bless every single person in this room on this Easter day. 
We thank you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.